Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 87 of the show. Definitely another good one for you. Lots to get into. Uh, The final regular season event of the PGA Tour wrapped up, so we'll recap that. Preview the first event of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, Major League Baseball. Last week we talked about the trade deadline. A lot of moves were made. Uh, We'll do a standings update this week to see how the standings have changed since the deadline. And then, of course, uh, the NFL's preseason has officially started with the first game in the books, so we'll recap that as well. Uh, certainly news to get into and around the island, but we'll start off like we normally do, and that is in the PGA Tour. This past weekend's tournament was the Wyndham Championship. That was at the Sedgefield Country Club in Greensboro, North Carolina. It was a par 70 Distance was 7,131 yards. All right, this course itself was designed by Donald Ross, who had actually also designed the Detroit Country Club, where they played the week prior, the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Uh, Sedgefield Country Club, it's a relatively flat course, but the greens are very undulating. If you watched the broadcast, you saw that. A lot of uphill putts, uh, not a whole lot of flat spots on the green. Um PGA Tour started playing here in 2008. Uh, since then, the course has lengthened a little bit. Still uh, only 7,100 yards, just about, so uh, not an extremely long course. Uh, the rendition of this tournament last year, we had a six-man playoff, all right? It was um, one of the larger playoffs uh, that we've seen, and it also ended a five-year streak in which the winning score was 20 under par or lower, all right? Spoiler alert, uh, this year's winning score was exactly 20 under par. So uh, had they reached that mark last year, it would have been seven years in a row that the winning score was 20 under, but that was not the case. Uh, pretty average field for this tournament. Uh, the the top-ranked players in the world uh, were Will Zalatoris and Billy Horschel, 13th and 14th respectively, and the official world golf rankings uh, for the six guys that uh, were in that six-man playoff last year played. A couple other notable names. Um, we did have quite a few withdrawals we'll get to here in a minute. Um, but this was the final regular season event of the PGA Tour uh, schedule, all right? Um, so this was the last chance to grab FedEx Cup points. We did have a little bit of drama regarding the uh, FedEx Cup standings changing up to the last minute, pretty much. But um, of course, only the top 125 players get into the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, round one, uh, Ju Hyung Kim or J H Kim or Tom Kim, as they called him on the broadcast. Not sure how Ju Hyung Kim makes Tom Kim, but uh, J H Kim, as we'll call him. He ended up carding a 3-under 67 in the first round, which is certainly a good score. But when you take a look at his scorecard, you'll see uh, he did that in just wild fashion. All right, He actually started his round with a quadruple bogey 8 on the par 4 first hole. All right, So the opening hole of his tournament, he shot a snowman. All right, Quadruple bogey. Most people wouldn't come back from that. All right, so he was four over. He proceeded to then make seven birdies the rest of his round, did not bogey anything else to get him to that three under. Just a very impressive uh, turnaround for J.H. Kim. All right, uh, he was the third player in PGA Tour history to make a quadruple bogey or worse on the opening hole and finish that round under par. So it's not something we've really seen very much. Only 
three times in the history of the PGA Tour, somebody started with a quad bogey or worse and ended up finishing the round at under par. Round two, uh, after round two, nothing really happened per se in round two. A little bit of drama we'll get to in a second, but after round two, we had seven withdrawals from this tournament, which is a lot, uh, a lot more than we would see. Normally, we'll see one or two. That's probably the average, uh, but seven is just uh, a disproportionate amount, including several big names, uh, Jason Day, Webb Simpson, and then last year's winner in this thing, Kevin Kistner. He won that six-man playoff. Those three guys all withdrew from this tournament after the second round um, for various reasons, but um, the drama that I just alluded to dealt with golfer Austin Smotherman, all right? He came into the week ranked number 125 in the FedEx Cup standings, which is the final spot. He came up to the ninth hole on Friday, which was his last hole. He started on the back nine, so the ninth hole was his 18th hole that he played. And all he needed to do um, was make a par in order to make the cut and continue on and, and get some FedEx Cup points this weekend. Well, he ended up getting a double bogey, which cost him a chance at making the cut, and it also cost him a playoff spot, all right? So that last hole that Austin Smotherman played bumped him out of the top 125 in the FedEx Cup standings. Uh, You you hate to see it, but uh, just really kind of an unfortunate deal there. Um, Now, also after the second round, it was announced that Will Zalatoris the highest-ranked player in the field. He had parted ways with his caddy, Ryan Goble. All right, a public reason for the breakup was not given, all right, but the two had been paired together for the last three years, a little over three years. Uh, Timing of this was very odd, certainly in the middle of a tournament. uh, He had just come off of a a four-under round of 66 on Friday. He made two eagles on the back nine, just, you know, that helped him make the cut. And uh, not to mention Zalatoris this year, he's come up to uh, 13th in the official world golf rankings heading into this weekend. And uh, that was thanks in large part to three second place finishes this year, one of which was at the U.S. Open. So Zalatoris, he's been playing really good golf this year, uh, came off of a four under round of 66 and ends up uh, dismissing his caddy after that round. So I'm curious to see. I don't know if we'll ever know the exact reason. Uh, it's not been made public yet, but uh, very interesting that the timing of that split, especially right before the FedEx Cup playoffs too. So uh, interesting note there. Round three, we had some bad weather. A lot of rain early on Saturday caused about an hour delay. Uh, rain went away. The sun came out. The uh, course really softened up. They were able to attack it. A uh, lot of, lot of good spin being able to be put on the ball, especially when it hit the green, you know, just because of how soft it was. Um, we did actually have a hole in one in round three. Joseph Bramlett, he got a hole in one on the par three sixteenth hole, just a beautiful shot. Um, and then shortly after that, about mid afternoon or so, uh, the rain came back, and that caused a suspension that turned into the uh, postponement of the uh of the round uh, round three did not get resumed until Sunday morning so they finished round three Sunday the weather cooperated all day round four J.H. Kim remember that guy I just talked about him yeah uh well he came out blistering on Sunday uh he tied the second lowest nine hole score ever recorded on the PGA Tour he shot an eight under 27 on the front nine on Sunday's final round to ease his way to victory, all right? Now, this is the same J.H. Kim that quadruple bogeyed his very first hole of this tournament. So quite an impressive turnaround for J.H. Kim. Uh, I mentioned he would go on to win. He was your winner at 20 under par, all right? I mentioned that 3 under 67 to open. He had a 6 under 64 in round 2. Round 3, he only shot 2 under 68. And then final round, he ended up with a nine under round of 61 to close out. Uh, It was his 
first career victory on the PGA Tour. The kid's only 20 years old, all right? He was born in 2002. He actually became the first ever PGA Tour player born in the 2000s to win on tour, and he earned a FedEx Cup playoff spot with that victory. And not only did he do that, he earned his PGA Tour card as well. So he is now officially a member of the PGA Tour at 20 years old. He's been playing lights out. Um, He won... Uh, this week at the Wyndham, last weekend or the weekend before last uh, at the Rocket Mortgage Classic, he finished solo seventh. The weekend before that at the 3M Open, he was T26. And then uh, the week prior to that, uh, two weeks prior to that, rather, at the Genesis Scottish Open, he finished solo third. All right, so he has uh, three top 10 finishes and a win in his last four events. So the dude's been playing completely lights out. Uh, This thing, he won with a score of 20 under par. He was five shots clear of second place. There was a two-way tie for second. John Huh and Sung J M both finished at 15 under par. Now, John Huh, he actually came out round one, nine under 61. All right, then shot one over on Friday and then came back with a 4-under 66 and a 3-under 67. Uh, Sung J.M. was pretty much near the top of the leaderboard all weekend. He shot a 7-under 63 on Thursday, a 1-under 69 Friday, and then his weekend rounds on Saturday and Sunday were 5-under and 2-under. All right, so M and Huh were both at 15-under par. Fourth place, Ben Griffin at 14-under par. Then a three-way tie for fifth at 13 under par. Seven shots back. That was Max McGreevy, Russell Henley, Taylor Moore. All right, you probably don't know any of those names except Sung J M. if you're just a casual golfer. Uh, tied for eighth, there was actually a, a five-way tie for eighth at 11 under par. Uh, and in that group was Tyrell Hatton. So you did see uh, at least uh, a bigger name player there. Uh, finish at 11 under par. But as you can see, J.H. Kim just completely dominated this thing. Uh, It wasn't from start to finish. Uh, It really became a thing uh, after Friday's second round. He was sitting at 9 under uh, through two rounds. So, uh, But that Sunday round just really uh, was a thing of beauty. Now, I I do need to take a second to address this. The the weekend broadcast on Saturday and Sunday was on CBS. Now, I I mentioned this a while back, several episodes ago, probably uh, six or seven episodes ago, we'll say. But um, six-time major champion Sir Nick Faldo, he is a broadcaster on CBS. He provides uh, the—he's an analyst— uh, so him and Jim Nance are the, the main guys that are talking on the broadcast throughout the round. Well, I announced it a while back that he uh, was retiring at the end of the regular season, and this was his last broadcast. So um, watching his final call after, you know, on, on the 18th hole was just, just simply spectacular. Um, he got choked up as Jim Nance went through the memories, you know, of, of – them over the years. Uh, those two, uh, Jim Nance and Sir Nick Faldo, those two guys are the voice of weekend golf on CBS and have been for a very long time. They were just a great duo. And uh, Nick Faldo always brought great commentary and perspective. Uh, he's a six-time major winner, so obviously he's familiar with the game. Um, you know, his his English accent, or, you know, is... is Uh, certainly iconic. He's definitely going to be missed. So uh, I hated to see that. Uh, I enjoyed listening to him and Jim Nance on CBS every weekend, but uh, congrats on the retirement, Sir Nick Faldo. But that brings us to this weekend's tournament, uh, which is the FedEx St. Jude Championship. That is at TPC Southwind, which is in Memphis, Tennessee. All right, it's a par 70 again. Distance is 7,243 yards, so just slightly longer. Uh, same same par of 70 as this past weekend, but slightly bigger distance, uh, about 110 yards or so, uh, which is not much. So it's basically the same distance. Uh, this is the very first uh, of the three FedEx Cup playoff events, all right? 
Uh, only the top 125 players in the FedEx Cup standings are set to tee it up. I don't need to discuss the field for this one because uh, it's only the top 125 in the FedEx Cup standings. So you can take a look at those standings to see who's in the field. Uh, it does include all of the top-ranked players uh, in the official World Golf rankings that you would think of. They'll all be out there. Um, the course itself, TPC Southwind, it has Bermuda greens, all right, um, plenty of streams, ponds, lakes, so we got a lot of water on this thing, uh, which could make it challenging given the par 70. Uh, fairways are zoysia grass, very undulating fairways, so it's not a flat course as we've seen the last couple of weeks um, between Sedgefield Country Club and the Detroit Country Club. Both of those are relatively flat courses, Detroit Country Club obviously being the flattest course on tour. Uh, so this is not that. This is very undulating. And TPC Southwind has been a mainstay on the PGA Tour since its inception in 1988. All right, But this is the first time that it's hosted a FedEx Cup playoff event. All right, So a little different spin. Uh, the winner of this tournament uh, wins $18 million dollars and earns 2,000 FedEx Cup points. A normal winner on tour, uh, major champions get 600 FedEx Cup points for the win. Every other tournament gets 500 FedEx Cup points, non-majors. So uh, 2,000 FedEx Cup points with a win uh, will almost certainly bump you up into the top spot of the FedEx Cup standings after this event. Now, a couple of storylines. Now, it's important to be in the FedEx Cup standings because uh, near the top, because as we get closer um, to the uh, Tour Championship, your your standing in the spot actually gives you a lower score to start, and we'll we'll discuss that once we get closer to the Tour Championship. Uh, but a couple of storylines here for the FedEx St. Jude Championship. Uh, last year's winner of this tournament was none other than Tony Finau. Uh, the same Tony Finau that has won the last two starts that he's made. He won the Rocket Mortgage Classic and the 3M Open, and those were in back-to-back -back weeks. He became the first golfer since Brendan Todd in 2019 to win back-to-back -back on tour, and a win here would make him the first person to defend his title at uh, a course that is a FedEx Cup playoff opener. All right, so lots on the line there for Finau. The way he's been playing... You can go ahead and throw his name in the hat as somebody that's going to be competitive this week. Uh, another storyline is Rory McIlroy. He currently sits sixth in the FedEx Cup standings, and he uh, is looking to become the first ever three-time FedEx Cup champion. So he already has two FedEx Cup championships to his name, looking to become the first ever three-time winner. Patrick Cantlay, he's currently fifth in the standings. He won the FedEx Cup last year. He would be the first ever uh, golfer to win the FedEx Cup in back-to-back -back years, all right, and then Open Championship winner Cameron Smith. He's number two in the FedEx Cup standings. He has not played since his win at St. Andrews a few weeks ago, so the question for him is, obviously, can he keep that putter staying as hot as it was at St. Andrews? Now, uh, after this weekend, it goes, the field uh, goes from 125 down to 70. So only the top 70 in the FedEx Cup standings after this weekend's FedEx St. Jude Championship will continue on to next weekend's BMW Championship, which is the second uh, FedEx Cup playoff event. So certainly going to be some very competitive golf this week. All of the big name players will be out there. Uh, it's, you know, it'll be a major championship type field. Uh, so I'll definitely be tuned into that. It's you know it's playoff season here on the PGA Tour, so uh, the next few events uh, certainly there's a lot at stake. We'll be drama filled. We'll see some low scores and some high high level golf being played. So I certainly encourage you to tune in to the FedEx St. Jude Championship this weekend. But we'll move on to Major League Baseball. Do a standings update here in the MLB. That's the first standings update we've done since the trade deadline, so we'll take a look and see how the trades have impacted the divisions. Some of the division leads have gotten smaller and others have gotten bigger. So we'll start off in the National League East, the New York Mets. They are 73-39. and They're in first place. Uh, they've won eight out of their last ten, including six in a row. 
pitcher Max Scherzer. He had 11 strikeouts in his outing over the weekend, and that was his 109th career game with at least 10 strikeouts, which is just insane. He actually passed Pedro Martinez for fourth most such games of all time, and he's only one 10-plus strikeout game away from tying Roger Clemens for third all-time. Two more such games would obviously make him third all-time and pass Roger Clemens, which I can see him doing this year. Uh, He certainly has been pitching fantastic since coming off the injured list. And so, too, has their other ace, Jacob deGrom. The Mets got him back last week, uh, and he had a good solid outing of five innings. Five innings pitched this past week. He pitched five and two-thirds. He had 12 strikeouts in that one. And in doing so, uh, Jacob deGrom passed Yu Darvish for the most strikeouts through a pitcher's first 200 career games with 1,523 strikeouts. So uh, those two pitchers, Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom, they might be the very two best pitchers in baseball when they're healthy and uh, at 100%, which they appear to be. Uh, DeGrom certainly is close to being that uh, if he's not there already. And so that's frightening for the other teams in their division, uh, namely the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Just, uh, what, two episodes ago, the the division lead was only two and a half games for the Mets. Now uh, the Mets are seven games clear of the Braves. Braves are at 66 and 46, like I said, seven games back, uh, just Kind of, they've only played 500 baseball over the last 10 games, so the Mets are really, uh, you know, kind of getting that that lead built up. The Philadelphia Phillies are third in the division at 62 and 48. Uh, they're 10 games back of the Mets, but they're still very solidly in a wild card spot right now. Kyle Schwarber for the Phillies, he's on pace for 51 home runs. Everybody talks about Aaron Judge; he's on pace for you know 66 or whatever. Uh, Kyle Schwarber's kind of hanging around with him. Uh, not quite as many, but still an impressive season. And then Reese Hoskins, interesting note here. He, this past week, he had a homer in three straight games. All of those home runs came in the first inning of those games. And he's the first Philadelphia Phillies player in history to do that. Uh, not sure how many times that's been done, uh, but that's that's pretty impressive to lead off uh, three straight games uh, with a first inning home run. But uh, the Miami Marlins, they're 49 and 61. Uh, they've only won twice in their last 10. And then the Washington Nationals, the worst team in Major League Baseball, they are 37 and 76. Over in the National League Central, a new division leader at the moment, and that is the St. Louis Cardinals. They are 60 and 49. Uh, they acquired pitcher Jordan Montgomery from the New York Yankees at the trade deadline. We talked about that. And just four days after that trade, the Cardinals uh, were playing the Yankees and Jordan Montgomery actually pitched against the Yankees. So pretty pretty weird for him, I'm sure. But the Cardinals are in first place by only a half a game over the Milwaukee Brewers, who are 60-50. and 50. Uh, Brewers, you know, they traded Josh Hader. Uh, and I'm, I'm not sure I like that for the Brewers, but... Uh, nonetheless, they're still probably going to be in the playoffs. Uh, third place in the NL Central, Chicago Cubs, 45 and 65. Fourth place is the Cincinnati Reds at 44 and 66. Now, the Cubs and the Reds, all right, they are playing in the Field of Dreams game, which is this Thursday, August 11th. By the time you listen to this, this game may have already been played. But it's at the Field of Dreams, the iconic Field of Dreams, where the movie was made in uh, Dyersville, Iowa. All right, the uh, Chicago White Sox played there, I think it was a couple years ago. Um, Now the Cubs get to play there against the Reds. Uh, The uniforms look really cool, very retro, kind of cream-colored. If you haven't seen them, go Google it. Uh, Definitely pretty cool uniforms. So that game will be taking place this Thursday which, uh, like I said, may have already happened if, by the time you're listening to this. Uh, last place in the NL Central is the Pittsburgh Pirates at 44 and 66. And then you have the National League West, all right? Uh, this, this division uh, is very interesting, all right? The Dodgers, uh, they're, they're first place. Uh, they're 76 and 33. Uh, they've won nine games in a row. Uh, very impressive baseball. 
uh, which they've done. They've won every single game they've played since they traded for Joey Gallo at the trade deadline. Not that he's been a huge part, but I just thought that was funny. Yankees have lost seven out of their first eight games without Gallo, and the Dodgers uh, have won all nine of theirs. So uh, maybe Gallo was the glue that held the Yankees together with his 156 batting average. Uh, but the Dodgers did place Clayton Kershaw on the 15-day IL with lower back pain. He's getting up there in age. Uh, he's still having a terrific season. Hell, he started the All-Star game for the National League. Um, but uh, manager Dave Roberts said that Kershaw was just having some back soreness, hoping it was uh, a shorter stint rather than longer on the IL, but you never know. Uh, good news uh, is that for them... The first series against the Padres, after the Padres went out and acquired Juan Soto, uh, they the Dodgers swept the Padres in that series, outscoring them twenty to four. All right, so we'll just we'll talk about San Diego since it leads right into it. The Padres are sixty three and fifty one. That record uh, puts them in the playoffs. It is the fourth best record in the National League, and it's actually three games better than. Uh, the NL Central. That's three more wins than either the Cardinals or the Brewers have, but they're they're 15 and a half games back of the Dodgers, right? Dodgers have 76 wins, which is the most in baseball. Yankees have had the best record all season long, but the the Dodgers have officially passed them. The Padres, uh, I mentioned they acquired Juan Soto. Uh, He hit his first home run on Tuesday night this past week. Uh, First home run as a Padre. Uh, at home against the Giants. But their other trade deadline acquisition, Brandon Drury, in his first at-bat with the Padres after the trade, he hit a grand slam. And then he hit another, I think he's hit a couple more home runs since then, at least one more uh, on uh, Wednesday night. He hit a home run. So he's been a terrific addition for the Padres. But uh, before Tuesday night's game, where Juan Soto hit his first home run as a Padre, the Padres had lost... Their last five games and were outscored twenty-eight to seven during that stretch. Of course, they got swept by the Dodgers, so that's included in that. But my goodness, you know, you make those trades and you basically expect immediate results, which didn't come. So um, it just, you know, they they have they've won a couple games in a row since getting swept, but still. Padres have a lot of work to do. I mentioned I thought they could catch the Dodgers with that trade of uh, Soto, but man, I don't. At this point, I don't think they're going to be able to. Uh, San Francisco Giants are third at fifty-four and fifty-seven. They're twenty-three games back of the Dodgers. Uh, the Giants are not making the playoffs. I uh, just don't think they they have enough juice at this point. And then you have the Arizona Diamondbacks at fifty and fifty-nine, and the Colorado Rockies at forty-nine and sixty-three. Going over to the American League, uh, the New York Yankees, 71-41. and 41. I mentioned they've lost seven out of their last eight. They've actually uh, lost eight out of their last ten, uh, taking on water uh, at the moment, not playing great baseball. Uh, this division lead has, it's still ten games, all right? They're, the Yankees are ten games ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays, who are 60-50. and 50. Blue Jays placed uh, outfielder George Springer on the 10-day IL with some elbow soreness. And in doing so, they they signed uh, free agent outfielder Jackie Bradley Jr. for some depth there. Third place in the AL East, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, 110 games into the season, but it's the Baltimore Bleepin' Orioles in third place in the AL East with a record of 58-52. and now, they're 12 games back of the Yankees for the division lead, but their 58 wins would put them in the division lead for the American League Central. So they're very much uh, in contention for a wild card at this point in the season, which if you'd have told me that, um, I would have probably bet a paycheck that they would have finished in last place. This now, they still have time to finish in last place. Don't get me wrong. But... Um, Watch out for the O's, man. Um, Tampa Bay Rays are fourth in that division at 58 and 52. They're same record as the Orioles, but uh, Orioles uh, are, are statistically listed ahead of them. 
And then the Boston Red Sox, uh, 54 and 58, their last place, 17 games back of the Yankees. They've lost four in a row. Uh, I don't think the Red Sox are a playoff team. Uh, just uh, they don't have enough consistent pitching like, you know, the Yankees or Blue Jays or even the Rays are getting. American League Central, the Cleveland Guardians currently are on top of the division at 58 and 52. They're only a half a game in front of the Minnesota Twins, who are 57 and 52. But then there's the Chicago White Sox. They're 56 and 54, Chicago is. They're only two games back, all right? The good news for the White Sox has been starting pitcher Dylan Cease. He's just been on a completely different level this year. He has allowed one only one earned run or fewer in 13 consecutive starts, which is the longest such streak since earned runs became an official stat back in 1913. Uh, the dude has just been pitching the lights out, and I would not expect anything but that to continue with the way he's, with the way he's been pitching. The bad news for Chicago is that they lost shortstop Tim Anderson for four to six weeks. He tore a hand ligament. Uh, that puts him back in early to mid-September, which is right around the end of the regular season. So uh, we could possibly be seeing a season-ending injury there for Anderson. So keep an eye on that. Um, I still think the White Sox have enough talent uh, and pitching to get this division. I think it's probably their only ticket into the playoffs is if they win that division. That's the weakest division in the American League, uh, and it's not even close. So I think the only way the White Sox make it in is to win the division, but I certainly think they're capable of doing that with or without Tim Anderson. Having Tim Anderson would certainly help, but I think they're good either way. And then you have the Kansas City Royals, 45 and 66, and then the Detroit Tigers at 43 and 69. Over in the American League West, the Houston Astros are up top there at 71 and 40. Uh, newly acquired first baseman Trey Mancini. They got him at the deadline uh, last week, and he certainly knows how to break in a new uniform. In his first ever at-bat with the Baltimore Orioles several years ago, he hit a home run. And then his first at-bat with Houston after the trade deadline, he hit a home run. And then in his second game with Houston last week, he added not one but two home runs in that game, including a grand slam for a total of three homers in his first two games in Houston. So I'd say he's fitting in quite nicely there in that change of scenery. But the Astros are 11 games clear of the Seattle Mariners, who are 61-52. and 52. Now, the Mariners' record is actually the third-best record uh, in the American League behind the Astros and the Yankees. So uh, they're the top wild-card seed at the moment, uh, I certainly think, I don't think they're catching Houston, but I certainly think that Seattle is going to be a solid playoff team. Luis Castillo's had a couple of good outings for the Mariners since they traded for him. So, you know, the Mariners are uh, one of the teams I said look out for this year. So uh, I think they're in a good spot. Uh, they're getting Julio Rodriguez back from the injured list uh, probably by the end of this week or the weekend. So uh, they should be in good shape there. And then my Texas Rangers are third place in the AL West. They've been camped out there for quite a while. They're 48-61. and 61. Uh, They've only won three times in their last 10 games. Uh, it's still ugly on the mound. The bullpen is horrendous. Uh, offense has picked up some life. Uh, they actually uh, they still have the second most runs scored in this division behind the Astros, and they're only uh, about seven runs behind them, so... Uh, it's looking good for for Texas for the future, but uh, this season's kind of uh, kind of a lost cause. Fourth place in the AL West, the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, they're forty nine and sixty three. Uh, they're only a half game behind the Rangers. They've been on a little winning streak here though too. Uh, I do have to mention this about the Angels. In a game last weekend uh, or last week against Oakland. They hit seven home runs, which tied their single-season franchise record for home runs in a game. Now, they lost that game 8-7. to seven. So the Angels hit seven home runs in the game, lose the game by a run, and become the sixth team in MLB history to hit seven homers in a game and lose. 
And that stat becomes even worse when they lose to the last place Oakland A's. All right, but the bright spot for the Angels, of course, who else? It's Shohei Otani. He uh, passed Ichiro Suzuki for second most homers uh, in Major League Baseball history by a Japanese-born player with 118. The way he hits the ball, I, he's got to be passing Ichiro at some point in his career. Uh, but more importantly, Shohei Otani, he joined only Babe Ruth in the 1918 season is when Babe did this. Uh, Otani and Babe Ruth are the only players in Major League Baseball history to have at least 10 home runs and 10 wins as a pitcher in the same season. So uh, he was the American League MVP last year, Otani was. And uh, if it weren't for Aaron Judge this year for the Yankees, I think Otani would have that on lockdown again this year. But uh, how can you not give it to Judge at this point? Now, there's still room for that to change, obviously. Uh, but the Angels are not a playoff team, will not be a playoff team, and of course the Yankees are. So I think American League MVP is uh, Aaron Judge's to lose at this point. And then I just mentioned Oakland. They're 41-71, and 71, last place in the American League West. Five-game losing streak as it sits at this moment. But uh, we're about 110 games into the season here for most teams. So uh, you know, we got about 50 games left in the regular season. It'll be interesting to see how these division races kind of either tighten up or um, further expand as we get closer to the end of the year. But we're certainly in for uh, an exciting playoffs. There's a lot of good teams this year in baseball that seem to have gotten better at the trade deadline. And uh, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. and We'll check back in next week on how the standings look at that time. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That is where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. Uh, certainly heavy this week in the NFL and the NHL with some other news in the MLB and the PGA Tour. But we're going to start off in the National Football League. And last week, uh, last Thursday to be exact, was the first uh, preseason game of the NFL season. It was the annual uh, Hall of Fame game in Canton, Ohio which, of course, is played uh, the Thursday before the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And this year's game uh, was the Las Vegas Raiders against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, obviously, it's a preseason game. We didn't see a whole lot of starters. Uh, Vegas ended up beating Jacksonville 27-11. to Okay, now the game itself, like I just mentioned, uh, not very entertaining, all right, uh, Vegas pretty much dominated this thing. They got up 20 to nothing before the Jaguars finally kicked a field goal in the third quarter. Uh, Vegas added a touchdown after that in the fourth quarter to go up 27 to 3. Then Jacksonville scored a touchdown and converted the two-point conversion on their final drive very late in the game with just a couple minutes left. So that's how you get the final score of 27 to 11. Uh, but again, uh, didn't see a whole lot of starters. Uh, really, the only starter of note that played for a few series was uh, Vegas running back Josh Jacobs, and there was some speculation as to why Vegas, one, played him, and two, played him for multiple series in the first preseason game. There were trade rumors kind of swirling around since they did not pick up his fifth-year option this year. But uh, Vegas has come out and said they have no intention of trading Josh Jacobs. But, of course, we know how that goes. Uh, they get the right offer. They're going to trade him. Uh, they're, they're four deep on the depth chart there in Vegas. So, But, nonetheless, I didn't watch too much of that game. I just didn't, you know. I, I did see part of the third and fourth quarter. But, uh, again, just was not very appealing to the eye test. Uh, but nonetheless, it is good to have football back. The preseason really gets going this weekend as uh, all the other teams start their preseason schedules this weekend. Uh, the joint practices are getting ready to, to begin, uh, you know, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week uh, before they play each other uh, on Friday and Saturday. So uh, certainly lots of uh, preseason football to watch this weekend. Uh, but just some f a few free agent uh, signings or re-signings in the NFL. The Arizona Cardinals, they re-signed offensive tackle DJ Humphreys. Three years, $66.8 million. It's a big left tackle. Uh, $34 million of that is guaranteed. 
and he'll actually earn $21 million of that in year one. All right, so huge payday for Humphreys. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they re-signed their top wide receiver, Deontay Johnson, two years, $36.7 million. Uh, it's worth up to $39.5 million with incentives, and 27 of that 36.7 is guaranteed. So uh, Johnson didn't quite get paid uh, what we've seen. He's a little under that $20 million per year threshold that a lot of the top-name receivers have gotten here lately, but still some very good money for Deontay Johnson. The Baltimore Ravens, they have re-signed their kicker, Justin Tucker, four years, $24 million with 17 and a half of that guaranteed. That makes Justin Tucker the NFL's highest paid kicker, uh, as it should be. He is the very best kicker in the National Football League, holds the NFL record for the longest field goal kicked. And I've talked about Chris Boswell's contract last week that the Pittsburgh Steelers gave him that put him up in that range. So Baltimore had to do something about that and keep Tucker and that number one spot for a kicker salary. And then my Dallas Cowboys, they finally showed some life in free agency. They had $21 million of cap room. They just spent $3 million of that on linebacker Anthony Barr, a one-year $3 million deal. Barr has been in the league for almost a decade, and he's made four Pro Bowls. All right, Great veteran signing for the Cowboys. Cowboys are pretty set at linebacker if Micah Parsons plays linebacker. But again, he's kind of a hybrid player goes all over the field. But Barr is, I think he's got a great chance to start uh, alongside Micah Parsons and Leighton Van Der Esch. So, and he's a good, uh, just a solid veteran leader that uh, can anchor that linebacker room. So uh, I think that's a great signing for Dallas. I'm, I was pretty happy to see that. We did have one trade to report, not really uh, a big name trade, but uh, the Houston Texans, they went out and acquired tight end Adam Shaheen, and a seventh-round pick in next year's draft from the Miami Dolphins in exchange for a sixth-round pick in next year's draft. All right, so uh, like I said, not a huge trade, but Adam Shaheen, tight end for the Dolphins, is now over in Houston. And speaking of trades, uh, Chicago Bears linebacker Roquan Smith, uh, Pro Bowl linebacker, he has officially requested a trade out of Chicago after contract negotiations between him and the Bears reached an impasse. All right, so basically Roquan Smith is claiming that the Bears do not value him, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, he, he's a former top 10 pick just a few years ago. Uh, he's been exceptional in his first few years in the league. He is due for a, a big payday that Chicago, I guess, is not wanting to give him. So keep an eye on that, all right, because that'll be, if if he gets moved, uh, that'll be interesting, uh, interesting to see where he ends up. But um, I mentioned preseason's underway, which means training camp is still going on, all right? A uh, few injuries to report. Uh, speaking of those Chicago Bears, newly acquired wide receiver Nikhil Harry. He left training camp practice over the weekend, last weekend. He got uh, an ankle injury. Uh, there's been no actual diagnosis that I've seen but it was described as, quote, appearing to be severe, but they are awaiting for uh, further evaluations. So, um, you know, he, Harry had a good chance to take over lead wide receiver duties in Chicago, um, but he may not play this year. We'll see how it goes. But uh, either way, Darnell Mooney certainly uh, is probably their top wide receiver at this point. The Cleveland Browns, their uh, wide receiver, Jakeem Grant, the pride of Horn High School in Mesquite, Texas, he suffered a torn Achilles uh, on Tuesday or Monday in practice. Uh, he's He underwent some testing. They confirmed it was a torn Achilles, so Jakeem Grant is out for the year. Uh, he's a speed guy, a great returner, uh, but he's done for the year. And then the New York Jets, this is just terrible news. Offensive tackle Makai Becton. Uh, the dude is like damn near seven feet tall, like 350 pounds. He missed all of last year with a knee injury. Uh, and in practice uh, on Tuesday, he suffered a, an avulsion fracture of his right kneecap. 
All right, so he's going to be done for the year as well, which is just a horrid break for the Jets. Uh, he was looking to anchor that line and uh, keep Zach Wilson upright. Uh, they have an offense around Zach Wilson that can put up some points this year, and uh, just tough to see Mekhi Becton go down again for the second year in a row. Some other NFL news. I talked about the Deshaun Watson suspension last week. Uh, as of right now, uh, Watson is only suspended for the first six games of the season. However, this past week, the NFL has filed an appeal of that suspension requesting an indefinite suspension that would be a minimum of one year uh, and a substantial fine. Uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, he's come out and said that the league has enough evidence to get Watson suspended for a full season, uh, calling Watson's actions quote, predatory and egregious, all right? So keep an eye on that. We'll see. I mean, you know, uh, Jacoby Brissett is ready to take the reins for at least the first six weeks uh, of the NFL season uh, while Deshaun Watson sits. But it's this appeal might have some weight, uh, especially, like I mentioned, considering uh, Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley got a full year suspension for placing a, a $1,500 bet on the Falcons to win a game. So, uh, if we're weighing the the consequences of of Watson's actions, uh, me personally, I certainly think that deserves at least a year suspension, considering what they've given other guys six games for uh, in previous years. But uh, stay tuned on that because Watson's uh, debut in Cleveland may have to wait until next year if that gets upheld. But also some more drama in Cleveland. Man, those Browns. It goes from bad to worse, it seems like. Um, this past week, uh, running back Kareem Hunt, he has officially requested a trade out of Cleveland uh, after the Browns failed to give him a contract extension. Very similar to Roquan Smith that we just talked about. But uh, Kareem Hunt has actually been sitting out practices uh, because of this contract dispute. So keep an eye on this. Uh, if it's not one thing, it's another in Cleveland, man. What a circus. Just an absolute circus there in Cleveland. And, you know, Hunt could probably start on any other team in the league that he would get. Tra any, any team that would trade for Hunt, he would start for. Um, you know, there's only about 10 to 12 teams in the league that have a legitimate bona fide uh, running back one. And uh, Hunt certainly would fit in that mix if he were to get traded. Uh, so watch out for Kareem Hunt on the move. But the other team in Ohio is the Cincinnati Bengals. And this past week, they announced that the name of their stadium is no longer going to be called Paul Brown Stadium. The new name for their stadium is Paycor Stadium. Now, Paycor is a human capital management company. It's been headquartered in Cincinnati for over 30 years, and it has served as the team's uh, official software provider since 2018, all right? So now Paycor owns the naming rights to the stadium. So the Cincinnati Bengals now play at Paycor Stadium. It's the second stadium name change we've seen in the AFC North. Of course, uh, Pittsburgh changed their stadium's name uh, several weeks ago. We talked about that. Uh, but uh, the other thing of note in the NFL, the uh, 2022 Hall of Fame induction ceremony was this past weekend. Of course, I mentioned that the, the Hall of Fame game was Thursday. The induction ceremony was on Saturday. I did mention the um, nominees or, or, you know, the players that got selected a while back. Uh, but the, just to remind you of the list, the players that made it, uh, Tony Baselli, Cliff Branch, Leroy Butler, Art McNally, Sam Mills, Richard Seymour, uh, Dick Vermeil, and Bryant Young. All right, those guys are the ones that were elected into the Hall of Fame this year. And I came across this stat that basically showed the number of Hall of Fame players by team. And I'll give you like five or six of the, the most and five or six least, uh, the teams with the most and the least amount of Hall of Fame players. The teams with the most Hall of Fame players uh, the Chicago Bears lead the way with 30 players in the Hall of Fame. Green Bay Packers have 27. Pittsburgh Steelers have 26. I, I certainly would have guessed those three just because of the iconic teams. The New York Giants have 21. That was kind of surprising to see. And then uh, my Dallas Cowboys and the Washington Commanders both have 20. 
All right. And then in comparison, the teams with the least amount of Hall of Fame players, the Houston Texans and the Carolina Panthers, they both have zero players. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals and the Jacksonville Jaguars both have one player. And in fact, Jacksonville's player was selected this year. It was Tony Baselli. He's the only only Jaguar in history in the Hall of Fame. The Baltimore Ravens have three players in Canton. The Atlanta Falcons and the Seattle Seahawks have four. And the New Orleans Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers both have five. All right. Uh, so I just thought that was interesting uh, considering the Hall of Fame induction ceremony was this past week. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League, do some NHL stuff here, some free agent signings, not a whole lot. Uh, Boston Bruins, they re-signed a couple of their guys. Uh, one of them was forward Patrice Bergeron, one year, $2.5 million. Uh, this is his 19th season in the league. He's won the Selkie Trophy five times. This might be his last year in the league. Uh, the one-year deal would kind of indicate that. Same thing with forward David Krejci, one-year, $1 million deal. So uh, that that's possible. Krejci might not even be on their roster by season's end. So, uh, But he's been in Boston for a while, and uh, he's there for at least another year. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers, they re-signed forward Kyler Yamamoto, two years, $6.2 million. Vegas Golden Knights re-signed forward Nicholas Waugh, five years, uh, $15 million. And then the Arizona Coyotes, they re-signed forward Lawson Kraus, five years, $21.5 million. All right, Kraus is still a good young player, big physical forward. Uh, but the most important re-signing that took place was the Calgary Flames. I mentioned a couple weeks ago they uh, traded for forward Jonathan Huberdo. They sent Matthew Kachuk over to Florida. They acquired Jonathan Huberdo, uh, and he was in the last year of a contract. Uh, the Panthers kind of threw in a couple of good younger players uh, in that deal uh, that Calgary asked for in case Huberdeau didn't re-sign with them. But uh, he did, in fact, uh, Huberdeau did re-sign with the Calgary Flames this past week. Eight years, $84 million. All right, that's almost $11 million per year. Uh, they just, you know, like I said, they just traded for him. They didn't want to let him go, you know, after this year. And uh, that that trade looks even better for Calgary. They just completely fleeced the Panthers in that one uh, with with Huberto, uh, Mackenzie Weger. Uh, he'll be on the roster this year. So the Flames certainly come out ahead on that. Uh, they would have had to pay Kachuk every bit of that much probably. So um, those are just the notable re-signings that took place. Now, some rare off-season injury news uh, to report out of Carolina. Uh, Carolina Hurricanes, newly acquired forward Max Pacioretty. He tore his Achilles this past week. Uh, not sure what he was doing. It's completely the off-season. Uh, but he's already underwent surgery. He's expected to be out at least six months. So that's, that's a big whoopsie because uh, they just traded for him. Uh, and he's not, it's it's already mid-August, six months is mid-February, all right? And uh, the NHL regular season ends in April, mid-April. So at most for Pacioretty, we're looking at maybe two months, the last two months of the regular season. Um, but he's kind of older uh, and, you know, up there in age in comparison to most of the league, so... Uh, he's probably not going to heal at the rate that uh, a younger player would. So it's possible we don't see Pacioretty until March. But either way, tough break there for Carolina coming off a great season. Now, I came across this graphic that was published by The Athletic. Now, if you, you know sports and uh, reporting and stuff, you know who The Athletic is. But uh, it's the NHL offseason improvement rankings, and it's based on what each team did in the offseason so far between free agency and the draft. And the numbers that are given here that I'm about to read are the number of wins added from last season. Based, It's the projected win totals. Uh, it's the number of wins added. All right, so I'm just going to give you the teams that had more than one win added and the teams that had more than two losses added. All right, the Detroit Red Wings lead the way, plus six wins from last year. Seattle Kraken, well, of course, the Wings were super active in free agency. I talked about that a few weeks ago. 
The Seattle Kraken, same thing. They've been very active, had a great draft. Uh, got a steal, Shane Wright, number four overall pick. They're, they're plus 4.1 wins. The Washington Capitals and New Jersey Devils are also plus 4.1 wins. Uh, Ottawa Senators, Anaheim Ducks, plus 3.7. The Nashville Predators, plus three wins. Columbus Blue Jackets, plus 2.2. Montreal Canadiens, plus 2.1. I would have figured theirs would have been a little higher, uh, considering the trades that they made on draft night and having the first overall pick. Los Angeles Kings and Edmonton Oilers, plus 1.7 wins. Uh, my Dallas Stars, plus 1.5 wins. Good to see them in the positive category instead of the negative. And then the Vancouver Canucks were the final team with more than one win added at 1.3. Now on the flip side, the teams that had a bad offseason so far uh, that had more than two losses added, uh, the San Jose Sharks had 2.1 losses added, Tampa Bay Lightning, 2.3. New York Rangers, 2.5. That was your Eastern Conference final matchup last year. Second, yeah, I think it was the second or third round, maybe. Was it one of the, you know, playoff matchup between the Rangers and, and Lightning, and both of them have over two losses added based on their moves or lack of moves. The Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche, they are minus 2.7 wins from last year. Minnesota Wild, minus 3. Calgary Flames minus 3.2. Uh, not really sure how they're getting a player that's every bit as good as Matthew Kachuk and Jonathan Huberdeau, but oh, they let Johnny Goudreau walk uh, in free agency, so that's probably why. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks minus 3.5 wins. Vegas Golden Knights minus 4. Toronto Maple Leafs and St. Louis Blues both minus 4.1. And then the Florida Panthers minus 6 wins. Uh, which is the worst, you know, basically the worst offseason uh, in the NHL per the Athletics. So it's good to see some Central Division Western Conference teams in that bottom group since the Stars are in the Central. But I just thought that graphic was interesting. That's completely based on projected win totals um, from the Athletic, but nothing more than that. Uh, just a quick note here, Major League Baseball uh, this past week, the MLB announced that the St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago Cubs are going to play a two-game series next year, June 24th and 25th, 2023, in London. All right, London, England. We have seen the NFL take over London at least once or twice per year for the last several years, and uh, Major League Baseball has decided to... Uh, play a, a couple games over there as well. So a uh, huge turnout for the NFL games over there. I'm not sure that baseball is is going to get quite the same turnout, but I'm sure you'll have a lot of Cardinals and Cubs fans. Both of those fan bases travel really well. So I'm sure it'll probably be a couple of sold-out games over there in London, but I just thought that was interesting to note. And then the final piece of news in Around the Island comes to us via the PGA Tour. Now, I didn't mention this in the PGA segment earlier to open the show, but uh, some important news regarding the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, on Tuesday this past week, a federal judge denied a temporary restraining order to three golfers who were seeking to participate in the FedEx Cup playoffs after leaving the PGA Tour for the LIV Golf Series. Uh Basically, there's three players, Taylor Gooch, Matt Jones, and Hudson Swafford. They uh, finished the regular season inside the FedEx Cup standings top 125, and all three of them left the PGA Tour uh, at some point earlier this year to go play in the LIV Golf Series. All right, so all three of those guys were suspended from the PGA Tour. Uh, after they participated in those LIV golf events without uh, con uh, conflicting event releases from the PGA Tour. So had, had they been granted the conflicting event release from the Tour, they'd still be eligible to play. Uh, but uh, Commissioner Monahan on the PGA Tour has already said anybody that leaves the PGA Tour for the LIV golf series uh, is suspended. So those three guys, Taylor Gooch is currently ranked number 20 in the FedEx Cup standings. 
Matt Jones is ranked number 65, and Hudson Swafford is ranked number 67. So, um, you know, those are all guys in the top half of those rankings, and none of them are going to be able to play this week at the FedEx St. Jude Championship. Uh, I, I would assume that they would appeal if they can, and maybe they'll be eligible uh, for the BMW Championship next week, but I don't see how they would do that. Uh, they, they're probably not going to allow that because only the top 70 golfers in the rankings after this week's tournament uh, qualify for the BMW Championship. So, like I said, um, you know, interesting there. Uh, those three guys uh, tried to get back in, you know, uh, but uh, we're told no, you know, trying to um, basically have their cake and eat it too, make their money and still play on tour. Uh, you know, the LIV money is ridiculous. And I, all three of them, you know, are not exceptional golfers. So uh, all three of them would make far more money uh, they probably got far more money to go to uh, the LIV Golf Tour instead of playing on, you know, they probably doubled their earnings, their career earnings, just by signing on with LIV. Uh, now they want to come back on tour to play in the playoffs, and that's just a no-no, all right? So, uh, but that's going to wrap up the 87th episode of the Sports Island Podcast. Um, lots of good stuff this weekend, all right, we uh, we got some NFL preseason football. All the teams start their preseason games this week, so that'll certainly keep you occupied uh, on the various networks. And, uh, of course, some Major League Baseball. We're winding down the season here uh, post-trade deadline. Uh, division races are nice and, and close, like, like we've talked about. And then, uh, of course, we got some playoff golf, right? The uh, FedEx St. Jude Championship is this week. All the top-ranked players in the world are going to be out there. So plenty of good, solid sports viewing this weekend. I'll be tuned into all of those, uh, the golf, the football, and uh, we'll throw some baseball on as well. So we'll, uh, we'll check back in next week and see, uh, see how this weekend played out. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.